here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Rob McCarron. You know, we, uh... We had some feedback from our last show. Okay. Episode 94. More than one person told me or spoke to others and said that I was a little rude to you. Cutting you off, not letting you get picks in, forgetting your your existence, really. Jeff Hawkins. I'm being trolled. Oh, right Jeff, now, Jeff, wait. <laughs> wait, I have breaking news coming into the news desk here. You're listening to Shake Them Ropes with Rob McCarron and Jeff Hawkins. Daniel, have you ever seen a ghost? Uh. Shake Them Ropes, your second episode for this week. I'm riding solo. I'm Jeff Hawkins. Hi. Um, if you haven't listened, I, I do recommend Rob's episode. Um, I, I thought when he said he was, t- he told me he was going to do reckless speculation. And I thought he was going to be actually reckless on it. And uh, you know what? It wasn't all that bad of analysis and what could possibly happen. I I was expecting, you know, lots of Tino fantasy booking and uh, Rob's sense of humor when uh, when he's kind of wants to cause trouble. That's what I was expecting. But no, he, he had a lot of good points to make about this Fox deal. SmackDown, and I'm going to go into that as well, at least a small aspect of it related to the entertainment business. And I'm also going to answer your questions, of which I have quite a few uh, to get through. But I do want to address something on this week's programming. I am going to talk about, you know, much like every other pundit out there, this Sami Zayn, Bobby Lashley uh, skit. That was on Raw. Um, It was insulting. It was offensive, especially in today's day and age. Um, I don't find anything wrong with offensive. It just has to be the right kind of offensive. And this was more campy humor and knowing that you were wrong rather than trying to get actual heat type of uh, segment. The problem here was twofold. First... You know, because if you watch wrestling from my generation or older wrestling, you'll see terrible, terrible skits. But they are meant to eventually result in the heel getting his ass kicked. And, but it's a different kind of ass kicking than you see on WWE television. It's the one where there's some actual venom behind the strikes and the crowd really wants to see it and they they really want to see you just they want to see blood quite frankly it's like the uh it's like being in the roman coliseum with the gladiators now to to achieve this generally you'd have a heel like Sami Zayn go far harder on the sisters um in terms of personal insults and that really didn't do that. It was kind of dancing around that issue because I think they knew that there might be some blowback to this. And then Bobby Lashley would have to come out and be actually angry as opposed to kind of nonchalant or, you know, smiling and kind of waving it off like, oh, this doesn't affect me. I am, you know, and that comes from, I think that actually comes from Vince's model of what he sees baby faces as. Baby faces, at least the alpha ones, don't get angry. They're stoic. They control their emotions. They're always in control. And when they actually rage, it it's due to a much larger type of person, a giant, if you will, and needing to then get those types of reserves to then beat up that giant man. Um, we see it all the time in the build-up to the major shows, you know, the pull-apart brawls like Goldberg and Lesnar. 
or Roman Reigns and, and Braun Strowman. So, you know, it was stupid. It was insulting. It doesn't pass the, if your mother walked into the room and saw you watching this, would you be embarrassed test, which I think is a major part of my problem. But at the same time, this is also the type of harmless quote unquote shtick that your major television companies are looking to bid on when they get the WWE family friendly version of sports entertainment. Now, in the wake of this $1 billion deal for SmackDown on Fox, there's been a couple of uh, pundits out there. I know Dave Meltzer is, has brought this up, and I think uh, Bruce Mitchell did as well, and I listened to them um, weekly about, you know, is it possible now to get a union or to get the Screen Actors Guild involved to give the wrestlers membership in that? There's a, there's a twofold problem there. Actually, one half of this problem has two prongs to it, so it's kind of a threefold problem, um, if you will. Uh, if they kept the current employment structure as is and just went full SAG, they would bankrupt this company because you would have, what, over 150 principals being paid that kind of money on a you know, on a star scale with it increasing every year, being paid every week, and not only being paid every week, but they'd also have to take down two salaries, and this is where the other part of it goes. Oh, and also you'd have to pay for all travel, um, all all hotels, all accommodations. I think you actually, on a SAG contract, if you're going on location, you actually have to fly everybody first class, so that would be an issue. Um, you know, you have the designated breaks. So if you're at the building for eight hours and you're going to have a SAG rep there probably, because I believe they have to have one at least available if any union issue comes up. And if you are on the road, you're going to need one to be traveling with you at all times. And and Vince isn't going to want to have to deal with that. Um, I think what would ultimately happen is... If uh, if any of you are aware of history, when Upton Sinclair's The Jungle came out and it forced the government to then come in with all sorts of regulations um, to help for safety reasons, the giant meatpacking plants actually helped write the regulations. That way they could survive and they could keep competition out. What you would get is something akin, I think, to what Disney used to have with the American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, which has since merged with SAG. Um, back in the day, Disney used to produce a bunch of little tween shows and stuff under, I believe it was a three-year contract. And this special deal ca- enabled them to keep the wages down so that they could stay away from the escalating scale of star salaries. The deal was, though, that your show could only last three years under this arrangement. So what they would do is if you took a show like uh, The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, for example, after three years, it would then, all of a sudden, you'd get a different locale, and it would be rebranded as The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody at Sea. And so then the contract renews, and you can stay under that current system. Um, so I, I would think that the WWE, if they ever got unionized and especially through an entertainment union, I am under the impression that the WWE would help write the rules for professional wrestling as classified as an entertainment venture. And then you would end up blocking out guys like TNA and ROH because they would have to follow these rules that were set for you. And now every competitor coming in would be forced by those types of by those types of rules to to go by those standards to pay whatever the standard rate was agreed to and all bylaws etc cetera, etc cetera. and that would be a major issue for smaller companies now there are other tricks that they may use here as well that wouldn't necessarily benefit the boys and this is what you have to be careful of um, they could make everybody day players And for wrestlers, I would think that you would get the same rate as a day player 
plus the second salary as a stunt performer for the day, which I believe each is about $850. Um, so you'd get about 1600 I would think, for one shoot. And with all your per diem and all your travel and stuff like that, I, I believe, because Steve Kaufman and I were talking about this uh, yesterday on Twitter. Friend of the show, Steve Kaufman, hosted After Buzz TV, um, has been a guest on this show a couple times. Um, he did the math, and he was looking at the rates, and he approximated it as, for your lowest level guy, classified as a day player getting this rate, you could make $200,000 a year doing this. Which isn't bad money at all, especially if your travel and everything else was taken care of. But who's to say that people are going to get that every week? You could that you could the guys that you don't use on television, you could make featured extras or featured or guest stars and pay that rate per week, depending on if you use them or not. To the point where guys like Mike Kanellis could be classified as extras and would only be making $100 for the show because I believe minimum wage for SAG extras are, is uh, 16 bucks an hour for an eight-hour day with, with breaks and everything. So, there, I mean, for the people making this push that, okay, we'll put them under SAG rules. That doesn't mean that, that everybody's going to be getting a principal rate here and everybody's going to be considered TV stars necessarily. They, and they're going to be used um, under the guidelines and it's very possible that the WWE could write those. Also, what would happen probably is you would have guys coming in for shorter careers and cut so that they could avoid the es- any escalation rates that they needed to pay uh, depending on tenure on the show. So that would be another thing you'd have to consider is they may just streamline the number of people they use, give the stars big money contracts, and then nickel and dime the lower level guys to an even more nickel and dime rate uh, while keeping their stars happy, and then you don't have any real threat of a of a walkout necessarily. Um, and as well, once you get the Screen Actors Guild on set they're going to want to also unionize the writers and if and this was actually a mistake i made i think the second time i applied for wwe as i said i, I would take writers guild scale as a uh, as a as a salary and uh that gets into uh big bucks um because you got to remember most shows only go 22 episodes a year you're talking 52 episodes a year and f- and those rates also escalate um, depending on tenure, depending on title. Is your title a writer? Is your title an executive producer? This this would cost them a lot of money. And I could see the WWE going to the government because, hey, guess what? They have a friend in the government right now. Um, <laughs> in fact, they have a member of Trump's cabinet in the Small Business Administration. And, and they'd go in and they'd say, okay, fine. We, you know, for the purposes of keeping our employees happy, we will, and giving them health care and other benefits like that. And trust me, SAG health care, quite good. I've never had enough hours to qualify for it, but it, it it's quite good. Um, That's why I keep the day job. But, okay, in order to give them the health care and to, and to, you know, foster a better working environment, we need to sit down with you so that we can avoid cutting too deep into our profit margin. And I could see the WWE doing that. And I think that is, you know, for the, for the people really signing with, man, you know what, I hope all salaries, you know, it'd be great if they could unionize. There are certain traps that are unforeseen here that might make things worse for the boys. So I'm just saying exercise caution. I think Todd Martin will, over at the Torch, um, may know a little bit more about entertainment law. Um, than I do. I just know some very basic, basic stuff about SAG. And I know, trust me, I know SAG actors can be a pain in the ass on set um, about regulations. And they should because it's under the regulations. Um, but I've seen, I've seen productions shut down before to address concerns of extras. Um, so, 
you know, it, it, it's, it's a, it, it's, it's a double-edged sword in, in many, many ways. I I'd love to see everybody make all the money, including the company. Um, I, I'm not taking a side either way. Uh, I'm just saying that the solution may not necessarily be unionization. So that's all for the week. Now to get into questions here and you guys, uh, you guys did your due diligence. You guys asked me plenty, so I will get into them and I will hopefully be able to answer them to your pleasure. Uh, Tim asks me with PWG on Friday, probably being the final show in Reseda. What are your favorite moments in the Legion Hall? Favorite matches? How did you get into PWG to begin with? Uh, <laughs> my my memory as I've gone through time has gotten worse and worse, but I've pieced it together. Um, I was still doing comedy um, back when I saw my first show, and I believe a friend of mine brought up wrestling, and I said I was interested in it. And we ended up going to my first PWG show, I believe, was PWG Smells Like Steen Spirit, which at that time was in Los Feliz in, I believe, the Jewish Community Center. Um, (laughs) Fun show. I believe Steen and Joe were both on the show. I I could look up the lineup, but uh, I'm kind of recording this on the fly, and I didn't uh, didn't download all the information I needed for everything, but... um, at the time, I just wanted to go back to wrestling again. I think the last Los Angeles wrestling I had been to was that terrible XWF promotion run by Rob Black. Um, I believe it was it was an outdoor venue of some kind. I believe it was the L.A. Sports Coliseum, not the big one, but a smaller one with uh, you know there were like some. I was I was very drunk at the time, so I don't remember a lot of this. Uh, you know, like you had your exploding cage garbage matches and, uh, you know, your scaffolds that guys were falling off of. And I just remember being really, really sickened by the entire by the entire thing because I didn't think it was wrestling. It was people hitting each other with crap for the most part. Um, so I'd, I had been taking off some time. I'd kind of been following WWF, but not very closely because you know there was just too much wrestling i was still doing comedy on fridays and saturdays and sometimes other weeknights so i wasn't you know or i was teaching so i wasn't you know in all the time so i didn't have a lot of time to watch raw and especially smackdown being on thursdays and fridays was a problem and then the pay-per-views were still pay-per-views and i wasn't going to pay for it I, i knew how to i knew how to torrent them or whatever torrenting was at the time i think uh i I forgot the name of the program i had i had a television program on a pc which i could get you there was a ufc and wwe channel that did but basically i was i was i was not following the law at that time uh (laughs) when it came to my fandom um but uh you know i went to a few more shows most of them were in burbank um I remember DDT being really good. Um, Bola 2006, Night 2, I really, really enjoyed. Um, And I think my first one at the American Legion Hall was PWG Scared Straight. Because Human Tornado was the champion at the time. Uh, The Briscoes were there, and I really wanted to see the Briscoes. Uh, There was a pretty good Claudio Castagnoli versus Roderick Strong match there. And I... uh, I was absolutely bowled over by the presence of Jade Chung. So <laughs> so I had a type. Um other shows I went to, I didn't I didn't I wasn't a regular there. I I'd go when I could. I I remember I went to uh Life During Wartime. Um I went to Titanica in 2010. I remember that being a lot of fun. I went to PWG8 and Russell Reunion and then I took a couple years off and I was invited by a friend from the F4W board who was a regular uh, to go, and he gave me tickets as a Christmas present. He basically said, anytime you want to go, let me know. And that's kind of when I first started uh, the line for a couple years. I'd go to every show, and I'd try to pay for front row so I could, you know, avoid most of the line because I I like it. I just don't have the time or the energy to do it a lot. Um, But uh, shows I really liked, uh, DDT4, I believe, um, I really enjoyed there. I enjoyed uh, Black Coal Sun a lot. Um, I, I came in just in time for the British invasion to come in, so I got to see, you know, 
Saber and Marty and their debuts in in, uh, in PWG. That was a lot of fun. I remember uh, Jack Evans and Chris Hero, the classic "You can't keep me down for two match, which was just stupid, but I loved it. Um, Speedball Mike Bailey and Will Ospreay. I remember loving that match quite a bit. And and actually one of the one of the things that have stuck with me because I don't remember a lot of matches because it's like it's a fun experience and then I forget everything. But watching Drew Galloway in Reseda when he came in for Bola was just fantastic. I absolutely loved watching because he's you don't get and, and this is what for me at least Reseda meant was you were up close with these big guys hitting each other very very hard when you had those matches when Chris Hero came back. Um, that was a special time for me and my fandom for PWG. Um, Drew Galloway, you know, doing topes and, you know, front flip dives over the ropes um, in, into the crowd was something, uh, you know, Pentagon's debut in in Reseda was something. Getting to see Jushin Liger in Reseda was surreal for me. Um, my My thing was just... I didn't. I, I stopped going regularly a couple years ago because it was just the tickets became too expensive. Um, it wasn't doing what I wanted wrestling to do for me. It was still very high quality stuff, but it just the experience was different, and it's the business had changed a bit to me. Not just not just wrestling, but also PWG in many ways. And it's not that PWG was was. Um, you know, a must-see for me in, in my youth. It was just one of those things where I was like, well, you know what, maybe I should stop coming because it's other people's time and it's not as fun for me as it is them. It's still fun in many ways. I can always get something out of any show I go to. But the bell-to-bell experience, and then I, I think also just because I wake up at 2 in the morning, getting to an arena at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon or probably 1 o'clock in the afternoon and being there until 1 or 2 in the morning just wore me out physically and I couldn't recover health wise. And I was having some health problems. So I had to kind of stop when it, when it gets to the globe and maybe you start getting assigned seats. So you don't have to wait. And I look, I love the line, but I I'd much rather have an assigned seat and not have to get there. So early, that's all. And especially in Reseda, which, you know, during Bola, I remember, I got there at like 10 o'clock in the morning on like the last night one one year and it was like 108 degrees <laughs> and I was just and Larry wasn't running the damn air conditioning he, you know he had it kind of puttering along at like 75 when that thing should have been at 50 you know so it kind of got uh but I love the atmosphere I love all the regulars at PWG I, I do I, I'm looking forward to seeing them again if I ever stop this ridiculous schedule of mine that enables me to go on auditions which haven't been coming lately, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I, uh, I won't miss Reseda as much as other people because I really liked like the Burbank shows and the Van Nuys shows quite a bit, but I understand how special it is and I'm sad for everybody. I'm going to be out of town and I, I hope they, uh, I really liked the idea someone had of renting it out for one last party, not necessarily even wrestling, just for everybody to come in and drink and commiserate and see each other. I, I liked that idea. Okay, Frazier, what makes SmackDown worth $1 billion and Raw possibly more? For the 3 million viewers, it seems too much. Does it all come down to advertising? Um, the television industry has changed quite a bit. Um, I, I tend to think uh, it, it's you have a known commodity. You have a set audience. You have, and in this day and age, a built-in audience is worth something a built-in audience that can build on it, and WWE can go, hey, look, these used to be our numbers. Those might come back if we do things correctly or if we get the right platform or we get more exposure. You know, you're, you're kind of being promised something. So, um, and, and as I said on uh, on the Monday show we did, you Friday nights are not ratings booms for most TV networks. They're a wasteland where you dump programming you're trying to get rid of. Or you have like your hour-long news magazines on that night. Um, Or, you know, you have your, you know, in the case of ABC, it was, uh, you know, TGI Friday was your kids-oriented programming. 
or your teen-oriented programming. So this is, you know, this is, there's not a lot of risk here for Fox, uh, or at least there's less than people think, because it's prime real estate on primetime television on a night that most people don't watch television. So you can overpay for it. You can gamble a little bit. This is gambling money right now. They got the NFL on Thursday. They're going to be making so much money off of that with advertising revenue. They can spend a little here. And and that's the kind of thing that raises all boats on other programming, you know, holding out for bids. Now, they just lost the UFC contract to ESPN. So that's going to put a bit of a ding in it. But on the other hand, they can take all those marketing assets that were being used for UFC, put them towards WWE and see what happens. So um, I don't see this as big of a gamble as a lot of people do. Greer, does Jeff like Drew McIntyre's finisher and entrance now or as the chosen one? Um, I like his look a lot better now. I like his over um, a lot now. Um, but overall, I liked uh, I liked his entrance theme and his finisher a lot more as the chosen one. I like, I'm not, the Claymore kick is okay, but uh, the Future Shock DDT and the Out of Time song, once you got past that slow, far too long, entrance before the music hit um i liked the tune a little bit better but i like how drew is presenting himself now more than as the chosen one gimmick um and i think dolph has actually raised his game a bit being teamed with a guy that is probably going to be more of a star than drew in the long run and i can, and you can see you know guys up in their game when that happens from time to time on tv shows but uh I also think once Drew does his first front flip dive on a pay-per-view to the to the to the outside, I think people are going to absolutely lose their minds. Or I hope they do. I can never tell with the WWE crowd cuz they're so conditioned and so jaded to see that dive every week then that it then just doesn't become special. Like when you do it the first time it gets that pop like Big E's uh big dive or whatever he calls it. I forget what he what he calls it, but you know, if he saved that for special times, people would pop like mad. But now he does it every week, it seems. And it's just not as special as it used to be. So we'll we'll see on that. Oh, <laughs> my friend Marshall uh, from college wrote me. He's We actually have mutual friends because if any of you know Coach Gator, um, who's I believe is doing some stuff for Northern Virginia. Uh, I believe it's Nova Pro or Nova Wrestling. Um and he used to have a podcast called The Gator Pit. But uh, um, my friend Marshall, who played uh, trombone with me in college, and him are friends. <laughs> this is uh, this is one of those silly questions. Dear sir, shut up. If you could book a battle royale during halftime of any college football game with Honky Tonk Man and a section of any college pep band, past or present, what game and what section of which band? Now, see, as a promoter, it depends on who I want to put over here, because if I'm putting over Honky Tonk Man, I do it halftime of the Music City Bowl or something in Tennessee, and I have Honky Tonk Man go over something like the Florida State Trumpets, because nobody likes trumpets. Let me tell you a little bit about the band, okay? The trombone section are your are, are the coolest section in the band, because they're all kind of the smart Alex. They're usually the smartest kids in there. They're great. Your drums and your saxophone players are usually prima donnas in in many ways. They think they're far cooler. You know, if they have to wear a uniform, they have it half off and they're wearing sunglasses. Oh, I'm not with those dorks. Oh, I don't like them. Whatever. The woodwinds are generally the women and others, but they're generally waiting for concert band or symphony or something to that effect. But then you get the trumpets. And trumpets are just obnoxious. They're usually a little bit smaller than other members of the band, and they try to make up for it with their Napoleon complexes and whatnot. And they always want to play football against the, the trombones. Oh, I forgot. Also included in the cool section with the trombones are our best friend, the tubas. Cause, and they're also the muscle, mostly. But the trumpets, I mean, you, you could sacrifice them because they're natural heels and make Honky Tonk Man look good. Now, if you want to get massive booze, uh, Marshall will know this. Um, what you do is, uh, you make sure that the university of Tennessee is in the sugar bowl and you say that honky tonk man is Elvis. And then you put him up against <laughs> someone who would want to kill Elvis. 
which would be some school's trombone section, probably the University of Virginia or Stanford's um, at the time. You know, some 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 band that makes jokes and just has fun as opposed to worries about marching in lockstep. Um, I would also sacrifice any power team's marching band in a heartbeat, like Ohio State's, which is a very good marching band, but I'd find it boring if I were in college. You know, you can sacrifice any of them. Um, I'd, I'd book a cage match between, like, Florida State and Ohio State's trumpets and have Honky Talk Man be a special ref and just watch the blood and carnage. That'd be fun. And that's enough of that bit. Um, Aaron, how long do I think I can manage a WWE review show with no hats beaten eaten and a backlash-level effort? Um, I enjoy talking. Um, it is hard, admittedly, to stay engaged with this product. Uh, which is why NXT was such a godsend for me when they had the horse women there. It's why the uh, WWE top 100 matches to see before you die list was such a godsend. Um, you know, a week when you have a four-hour pay-per-view, three-hour Raw, two-hour SmackDown, an hour of 205 Live, an hour in NXT, and I try and watch all of it every week, so I find at least something to be engaged with. Um, I do a lot of my TV watching on the elliptical machine, even though I am still struggling with my weight, but, uh, it is man. And I've thought about, you know, cause Rob jokes about hanging it up. I've thought about hanging it up. I'm thinking about hanging up even the fightful cast after, and when it moves to Friday nights, I really am. I'm thinking maybe it's just time for someone else to do it. And that's the other problem I, I'm starting to find I have is that, I deconstruct SmackDown, you know, segment by segment on Tuesday nights. So by the time I get to Shake Them Roast, which we generally now record on Wednesday evening, sometimes Thursday, I don't spend any time talking about SmackDown because I assume everybody's already heard my opinion. Or I think people would be bored by me reiterating the same points over and over. And usually if we're at Wednesday night or Thursday, all the talk about Raw has been done. So you're kind of struggling to find something. So that's when you look to your NXT or your 205. And if they're in a holding pattern, you try and talk about business or you do bits to keep yourself entertained. And and I've really, I, I don't want to put in a half-assed effort on this show. I want it to be good. I want more people to listen. But I will admit it's not as fun as it used to be. We don't do as many, you know, shake them ropes theaters or stuff because it's hard to find things that engage me or make fun of me. And then if I do, I don't want to be so snarky that if talent or an employee happens to listen, I know there's one or two that do that. You know, it's not that I, I might heat from the company. Don't get me wrong. Cause they're never going to hire me. I'm too old. Um, you know, <laughs> but at the same time, I don't want to be a jerk to people at the same time. So that's why I, I stopped Rob from doing the Dana Brooke intro because I realized how mean spirited that was. Cause that was just an on the fly impression I was trying to think of at the time. And it was really cruel. I thought, um, as time went on, I realized that like the Alexa one is, is good. You know, I, I personally miss French existentialist Ryback. Um, so I'm trying to think of weirder things to do with characters. Like I, I almost did teenage emo girl, Roman Reigns. So you try and keep yourself engaged, but yeah, the product, I mean, my, my comment stands, this is the golden corral of wrestling and it gives you a lot of food, but it's not necessarily, you know, quality stuff, but it's enough to sustain you. Will asked me, what are my favorite podcasts? Um, so wrestling wise, I listen to Todd Martin and Bruce Mitchell show over on the torch. Um, I love their analysis. Um, I will listen to some UFC roundtables, not as many as I used to, because I'm a big fan of Jordan Breen. I really wanted to mar- make myself to be more of a Jordan Breen of wrestling commentary, and I just turned into a stupid comedian. Um, Dave, I listen to. I listen to all the Brian and Vinny shows as well over on The Observer, and I really like Between the Sheets. Um, I, I do admit there are times I think... Uh, David Bixon's pants sometimes gets into the weeds, especially on his own humor from time to time, but uh, it's an enjoyable show and it depends on the week that they're covering. I think um, 
You know, if it's in my wheelhouse, I really want to listen to all the details that I missed. Um, if it's not, I'll generally skip it. I like uh, What Happened When with Tony Schiavone quite a bit. Um, that's really been something that um, over kicked its coverage, in my opinion, because Tony was very guarded at first and now he started to lighten up. I think, you know, I, I have no interest in the Pritchard uh, podcast and I really have no ish, uh, no want to listen to Eric Bischoff, but I really like listening to Tony Schiavone. I think, you know, for as many bad things as he sometimes says on that podcast, I, I admire honesty and I admire letting down your guard. And sometimes people need to take a joke and I wish people hadn't tried to dox him. Um, non-wrestling podcasts. I listen to a lot of audiobooks um, during my day. Um, mostly biographies of people from colonial or the civil war days, because those are the people that interest me. Cause I was a history geek. I listen to Tony Kornheiser's podcast. Um, regularly I have for about eight years. Uh, I used to be a big fan of Steve Zabin's, um, show, especially when it was still on Fox. Um, because Al Galdi and Steve Solomon are both wrestling fans as well. And I've talked to them a little bit. Um, I listen to a lot of, uh, political wonkery. I will not disclose which because either way, half the audience gets angry at me. Um, if you want, you can hit me up in the DMS and I'll tell you as if you promise not to block me, leave it at that. Um, I also, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a, uh, since 2012, I've kind of gotten really back in touch with my faith. So I listened to about five or six different church podcasts of, uh, pastors. I really, really like who are a little bit more, um, their speaking style is a little bit more humorous and I, I tend to enjoy that a little bit more. Um, yeah. And I'll occasionally listen to things that are of special interest or of note. You know, if there's a interview subject I like, I'll listen to that. You know, if Colt Cabana has someone on their po- his podcast, I'd listen to it or edge and Christian, those types, but I generally don't listen to those a bit unless I actually have to. And then, um, you know, the Bengals, I'll occasionally listen to a podcast about them. Speaking of which, David asks, how did I become a Bengals fan? I was originally a Oakland Raiders fan back in the day, and my favorite player was Dave Casper. And then Dave Casper eventually went over to the Houston Oilers, and I had no interest in rooting for the Houston Oilers, and the first team they were playing was the Cincinnati Bengals with Ken Anderson and Chris Collinsworth. And David Fulcher, I believe, was also on the team at the time. Um, And I instantly became a fan. And I have been ever since, much to my dismay, because they have a lousy ownership group. Um, They broke my heart in two different Super Bowls. Um, I eventually got to meet Dave Casper because uh, when I was coaching improv, there was an older gentleman who was taking classes who went to Notre Dame. And his first year roommate or dorm mate happened to be Dave Casper. So that was quite, quite cool. I got to be in contact with him and he... uh, that was that was a thrill for me. So uh, you, you never know who you're going to meet who knows people around here. So that was great. Uh, ben asks, who is the real franchise, Steve Francis or Shane Douglas? Uh, neither. Tom Seaver is the franchise. Period. Steve, Steve Francis is... Uh, <laughs> uh, Steve Francis is one of those odd stories because it's like you, you, you had like three really great years. Um, and I also just offhand i remember antoine carr being part of a trade for him and you know gotta give it up for the real big dog as well antoine carr rich asks what are my favorite five favorite angles pre-1990 okay so it's before 1990 so i can't put lawler and eddie gilbert on there because that is 1990 but um the andy kaufman in memphis was great uh magnum and tully is obviously my favorite feud of all time because that's what really got me into wrestling. Uh, the slow one-year build to Barry Windham becoming a horseman. Uh, Steamboat and Savage in the WWF. Uh, Mr. Wrestling 2 and Magnum TA. That whole thing is fantastic. Ray Stevens being kicked out of the Heenan family in the AWA. Uh, Dusty as the Midnight Rider. Um, as a kid, I really liked it. It's, it's still good, but, you know, it's it's a little hokey, but, I mean, or dated. Uh, the Freebirds and the Von Erichs is, of course, great. Uh, Buddy Landell turning on Butch Reed or turning him babyface by basically selling him to Skandar Akbar in Mid South. I remember watching and thinking that was really well done, despite you know the <laughs> PC connotations of it. Um, Eric Embry as a babyface in World Class surprisingly good. 
Um, Flair and Tully in 84, which eventually turned into Flair and Wahoo, um, I really liked. Uh, Harley Race employing Bob Orton and Dick Slater to go after Ric Flair. Uh, the Midnights and the Rock and Roll Express in Mid-South. Steamboat turning into, uh, you know, the JTEX Corporation and the Horsemen. All of that 89 NWA stuff is fantastic. The Midnights versus the Midnights. The introduction of Doom. Um, Eddie Gilbert and John Tatum in Mid-South. And also the Terry T- Taylor turn in the Battle of New Orleans. Um, I forget if it was 1990 or not, but the Eddie Gilbert, Ron Simmons run in the U.S. title tournament where Eddie Gilbert was originally a heel and he's trying to be a baby face was really, really well done on WCW Saturday night. And of course, bringing Steamboat back for that entire Steamboat Flare thing was a really well done angle as well. Um, more than five. I love all my children. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Um, uh, my friend Grammarian, fellow board mod over at Figure Four, uh, my general thoughts on Money in the Bank competitors. Overall, I think it's good. Um, a lot of guys not usually having the chance, a lot of new blood in this match, which I think is what this is for. Um, on the men's side, I generally think Braun Strowman should not be in this kind of match. He doesn't need it. He, there's no drama in him going after the briefcase. This is for guys who are upper to lower mid-card, in my opinion, who are you are looking to make a star. And I don't think Braun needs that. Um, the women's side, uh, kind of the same. My theory was that they were trying to get people who weren't um, in both the Elimination Chamber and the and just enough from the old money in the bank to have some veteran hands in there. Um, I think Lana in there, uh, <laughs> who knows? Um Becky and and Charlotte and Ember Moon, I think, are going to be pretty good in there. I think Ruby Riot is going to be the last one in there. Um, and I think it's going to be fun. I just... How can I put this without sounding like a horrible person? I don't think the Money in the Bank ladder match lends itself to the abilities of the women's division. I think it needs to be a little bit more fast-paced. And it needs, and you need some, for lack of a better term, stronger competitors in there who are able to move, maneuver the ladders around. Um, I think the Elimination Chamber is perfect for the women. I think there are other gimmick matches that are perfect for the women. I think you could actually come up with a better one, similar to Money in the Bank, that would be perfect for the women. I get the equality a- aspect of it, don't get me wrong. Um, I think... They still need to wipe the bad taste out of their mouth for the Carmella James Ellsworth win in many ways. But, uh, you know, the, the, these matches, I always, I shudder at them because it's so easy for guys to get hurt and many often doing them. And I, I fear the first big women's injury because of the latter as well. Um, that's a, it's a bit of a concern for me, uh, unless they get new ladders just for the women. And then people will complain about sexism in that case. All right, Jordan with a three-parter here. What do I think WWE will do to make SmackDown a better show for next year? They will do nothing. Uh, Fox has bought in. They bought the product. They want the WWE product. Um, I think uh, WWE may put people that they view as stars on there. But remember, what they view as stars is different than what we view as stars. So anybody thinking, oh, they'll put all their great wrestlers on there. Now nah, they'll put their uh, they'll put their uh, entertaining personalities that they built on Raw over there. I think you're gonna get maybe a Roman Reigns and probably a Ronda Rousey over here at least for the first couple weeks, or they'll make them free agents. They can go back and forth. Um, they still need to please USA, uh, and Fox. They already have Fox's money. They don't need and for the product that they have, they don't need to make any special considerations per se. Um, for SmackDown. They, now, I think they will, and I think some of those moves will be dropped after week two. But, uh, you know, I don't think they're going to do anything drastic. I think they'll, you know, Pyro might be the, might be the only thing they bring back. Um, how negative do I think the product can get with the new paradigm and TV being more important? Well, they don't view the product as negative. It's us purists. It's us fanboys. It's... It's us that can't relax that are being negative on this product. 
Everybody else is like, it's the WWE experience. You bring your family. They get to chant along with the chants. They get to see the finishing moves. They get to see all the stars. They get to see a giant. They get to see the gorgeous woman champ. They get to see the big superhero-like men's champ. That's the WWE experience. They could... Their laziness and creative, they don't view as laziness. They view it as the WWE product. Is it optimal? No. Are these fans who expect more ruining it to them? Yes. And if they could figure out a way to get rid of them to find a more casual audience, they would. And I think the audience is really clamoring for something a little bit more adult. And I don't mean attitude era adult. I just mean something that doesn't insult the intelligence per se or something a little bit more violent, or something with a little more heat to it, and they're afraid of heat because they have sponsors and stuff. So I think this is what you get with the WWE, and our problem, our disappointment is more in regards to our expectations than um, than anything they're doing. Uh, they this, is, this has been the product for how many years, and we're the ones complaining about it, and we're the ones still watching, so... You know, the problem is more or less with us, not with them, um, in their eyes. And number three, why does it hurt when I pee? Gonorrhea. Stop sleeping with unclean women. Okay, Kyle. (laughs) Jeez, I'm going to get heat on that one. Kyle, what made you start acting? Um, I started acting (laughs) basically because I got sick of Uh, stand-up. I took my first acting class in college to get over stage fright. And I was told I was really good at it, um, that I had a certain lack of filter that allowed me to emote without thinking about it. Um, I didn't do a lot of dramatic acting in college, but what I did, I was told I was very good, even though I thought I was an absolute fraud. Um, When I moved out to L.A., I wanted to be a writer, and it was mostly because I had no faith in my acting abilities. And so I would do the stand-up set, hoping to get discovered so I could get a writing gig, um on staff, and eventually I started to hate stand-up. I hated open mic culture. I hated going out every night and having everybody leave when you go up on stage because they wanted to go talk to their friends and coming in and only supporting their friends and performing for no audience. And then if you got booked, it was these bringer shows and bringer showcases where you had to bring four or five people who paid full, full price and had to buy two drinks, and had to sit through 20 comedians before you because that dude would book all his friends and then eventually you'd come up. And I remember, you know, I was pretty good. I worked the road back east, which wasn't as much of a problem as L.A. L.A. is what broke me off stand-up. And I'm about ready to go up on stage one night, and the MC comes and whispers in my ear, you know, the minimum was four people and you only brought three, so I'm cutting your time down from seven to five minutes, and then I get introduced. And I thought that was the most unprofessional thing anyone had done for me, to me. And so I stopped, and I went into acting, and I started doing improv, and I really liked the team aspect of it a lot. I I got me stage time doing really bad short form, which was whose line is it anyways, but then I started doing long form improv, and I found it far more intellectually stimulating for me. Um, because I could explore different issues I had on stage and nobody would ever know because it was in the name of comedy. And I, I found that the more dramatic I was in comedic improv scenes, the funnier the laughs would be because it had that emotional resonance. And then I, I enjoyed teaching as well. I, I got into teaching and I, I really liked it. So um, uh, that's how I got into acting. And then I eventually uh, hooked up with a friend Friend's agent who uh, saw me do an improv show one night. He really liked what I did, and he started sending me out. I don't book a whole lot. I wish I did, but I also know I got to lose about 30 pounds in order to be far more marketable than I am. And my weight will yo-yo. I'll do yoga and all these other things, and I'll get down to my prime weight. And then I'll, you know, I'll have a time where I'm just exhausted, and I'll stop working out, and then it'll all go to pot. And it goes to pot on me really quick. So, um, what wrestling promotion do you wish you watched more of, but don't, uh, present day, not a lot, maybe progress from time to time. I wish I had time for, I wish I had more time to fill in the historical gaps in my resume. Cause I used to, before 
205 and NXT became a regular thing and before Raw went to the third hour, actually right after it did, or having to do the Fightful show, I was catching up on Mid-South from week to week and I had gotten up to about mid-1985. I'd like to complete that. I'd like to fill in the gaps in my Memphis and Continental uh, wrestling, which I have a crap load of DVDs of, but I just have never gotten to be able to get into them uh, because I just don't have the time. But in the late 80s at that time, when it was my peak fandom and everything was kind of a similar style, just in different locations. And just, you know, for my historical knowledge, you know, I, I started watching... I started cherry picking a bit. Like I got to see the formation of bad company in Memphis, which was a real kick for me. Cause I really love them as a team, you know, just, just being able to watch all of that as opposed to the WWE product, which I'm not terribly engaged on. And I, I will still keep up with the six Oh fives because of Brian and Vinny and listening to that. But other than that, I don't have a lot of time. And quite frankly, there's not a huge market for those types of podcasts unless you were actually there at the time. So I think a lot of modern day viewers would get very bored with me talking about how a guy got pinned with a you know, belly to back suplex on 1984 mid South and, and how that was, that was innovative at the time. I, I think that would get very boring, very, very quick. Uh, let me take a quick drink here. Cause I am losing my voice. La la la. Okay, uh, William asks, how did Rob and I start Shake Them Ropes? Uh, I will repeat this because you get new viewers or new listeners every every day. So, uh, Rob was the raw recapper for Figure 4 online. And he was on the message board there and asked if anybody was interested in doing a podcast. And I had just bought a blue snowball microphone because i was going to i don't know what i was going to do i was thinking about doing little short three minute comedy bits on youtube because i have a bunch of friends that did that and started making some money off of it i say about doing some political punditry but i didn't want to piss off my friends um but it was about the time i had bought the microphone that i saw that and i i wrote to rob i said yeah i'd be interested and his idea was he wanted to do a pardon the interruption for wrestling you know, different kind of, you know, a bunch of short vignettes, about a minute and a half on different topics going through the week that was uh, WWE, especially. Um, but we were able to branch out of one. And what it turned out was after the first show, we couldn't stick to the format because we had so much to say about, because this was in the uh, build to WrestleMania, I believe 2014, maybe. So we threw the format out and we just started doing the show. And I was expecting to become on a rotating panel of people he did the show with, but, uh, and I don't know who else he taped, uh, podcasts with to test it out, but we seem to have chemistry. So we went with it and we met in August of that year for the first time at the figure four, uh, convention in August in Vegas. Um, and then the last time we saw each other was Royal rumble this year. But, uh, he likes it in Indiana. I uh, I survive in Los Angeles. Um, it's nice to hear kind of the coastal perspectives, so to speak, in some ways. Um, I really enjoy when he gets into kind of referee talk because that's an aspect of the business I don't know a lot about. Um, but uh, we've maintained a pretty good partnership, I think, and I think people enjoy the show. Uh, I, It's kind of a straight absurd scene in improv, and I think he wasn't expecting to be as much of the straight man from time to time, but uh, he gets he gets his comedy in and he trolls me quite well, I think. So uh, um, I enjoy the show still. I hope he stays with it. Um, if he's listening up to this point, um, I hope he stays with it um, because I am very bad at uh, finding good hosts. Um, not that the people who have filled in for him are bad. Um, I just like our chemistry, and I'm not sure that that's the kind of... Ke- I'm not sure I could go with another regular co-host because I'd always be comparing the chemistry, but I would try because there are too many people that listen to the show that seem to enjoy the show. And until, you know, the listenership goes down and they find another way and God knows, you know, voices is kind of cutting into that with their Patreon, you know, doing weekly TV recaps coming into our turf. 
spray painting Joe Lanza's name on the buildings in our neighborhood. The fuck's of your problem, Lanza? Come on. I love the voices guys too. They do great work, but uh you know, I may have to reconfigure some things if Rob leaves, um, to keep this show going and keep the show fresh. Um, I that Patreon kind of uh, in limbo because I think it, too many people are doing it right now and I couldn't think of a uh, really great content to put other than the historical stuff. And I told Rob he could do a baseball podcast once a month. So we will see how that goes. Um, Andrew asks, if Fox has a greater stroke in laying SmackDown out, they won't. Would having something like Talking Smack and Ren- Renee as a face on Fox be beneficial in drawing in a casual audience but still remain faithful to what it was but WWE pulled back from allowing any level of creative freedom. Uh, you know, they are the casual audience. They view the casual audience as the casual audience. They, they're not having a problem drawing casual audience because they view all of us as casuals. They think those of us that are shouting are, are ruining everybody's fun. But they think they have a nice size casual audience. What they want is the cool audience. You know, they want to be the water cooler talk again. And I think they think they know how to get there. And they think they think that the uh, that the general formula is McMahon's versus talent, boss versus talent, you know, replay Austin and rock again and 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 uh, and and go that way. But um, I, I have my doubts. I think. If I were them, I would totally rebrand SmackDown. I'd give it a totally different kind of wrestling style, but they don't know how to do that. They love the WWE product within their own company. So I I don't see, and I don't see Fox being, you know, a week-to-week, you know, whatever. I don't see, you know, WWE turning in scripts to standards and practices necessarily. I think they, they got this deal, and they said, here are the parameters. We will stay PG. Uh, we will not get too edgy. We will be family friendly. We will do all this corporate, uh, corporate, uh, synergy and, uh, and, and you guys will pay us a lot of money for it. And you will be very pleased with the results that you eventually get. Uh, Ben, I didn't watch WWF for eight years cause I got tired of Austin McMahon rock getting shoved down my throat. Roman Reigns isn't anywhere close to that level. What's the difference? Uh, the difference is it always sounded like Austin and rock were really talking real crap to Vince McMahon. Uh, it was that kind of angle was still new, the heel commissioner angle. And you had Austin and rock and you could switch between the two of them. Right now you have Roman and Roman and you can't. And he is, he is a static personality. He he never changes. His character never does anything per se. Um, he's still stuck in the same storyline he was two years ago for the most part. So that to me is the difference. They're still shoving and they, they shoved Austin and rock down the throat and they're going to shove the guy that they want to be the star down your throat because they think that all that conditioning will eventually make you cheer for him. Um, I just think Roman has never had a genuine emotion in any of his promos. So nobody can get behind him. With Austin, you really thought he was angry. With The Rock, you really thought he was that kind of guy. So people wanted to get behind that at the time. Um, and that's why their comedy also worked a little bit better as well at the time. Uh, Pod Van Dam, Varsity Club 1999. Remember that? That was bad. Yeah, um, I liked it for what it was. And plus, uh, they added Kimono Wanalea slash Leia Meow. And as I already said... One of the best things about one of those first PWG experiences in Reseda was Jade Chung. I have a type. <laughs> what will it take for ROH to get back up to the 2005 to 2007 era? Arguably the best three-year period in indie wrestling for a promotion. I don't think you're getting back to there. I think TV changes it a lot. I think uh, the boom in streaming services means every smaller promotion doesn't need to... Uh, be a feeder to a to a mid-level promotion now. I think with WWN and with Powerbomb, PWG becoming far more powerful over the years, um, AIW in Chicago, WXW overseas, Progress, um, RevPro. There are other there are a lot of other places to go. And it's one of Ring of Honor's boom period things was this was the super indie everybody went to 
And they had guys like Will Ospreay, and they didn't do anything with them. So I think either it's going to have to be a reboot in style, or they're going to have to find that diamond in the rough and latch the rocket to him and hope that uh, he can bring them up. But right now, you know what? If I'm ROH, I'm looking at some of these other smaller promotions, and I'm asking for merger, and I'm asking for control, and I'm trying to buy them out. Because if you don't, WWE will probably end up putting them on their streaming service in some sort of quote-unquote working collaboration. And you're going to have to go to even lesser, less fruitful breeding grounds to find your new talent. I also think they have a problem in that they don't, they got great wrestlers, but they got great wrestlers with gimmicks that don't scream ROH. I mean, you got the Briscoes, and the Briscoes are always going to be the Briscoes, but you have, you know, Dalton Castle is a great wrestler, and he has a fun gimmick, but that has a sports entertainment gimmick. So is Marty Skrull. So is Cody in some ways. So are the Bucks. You know, you don't have that kind of serious flavor you did for the Samoa Joe, CM Punk, Daniel Br- or Brian Danielson era in, in ROH. So... You know, I, I think a lot of things have to happen. I think it's not just one thing, and I don't see it happening. I think once your boom is gone, it's very hard to get it back, and they've tried rebranding themselves. They did when they went from uh, HDNet to Sinclair. I, I just I think it can be a solid money-making promotion, but All In sold 10,000 tickets with a lot of their guys. They're never going to sniff 10,000 tickets in ROH without the help of New Japan or other promotions. So what does that say about the industry right now? Uh, Christian Rosenberg, friend of the show. Do you still love me? I'm not sure I ever really liked you, but uh, sure. And uh, from a DM, uh, what advice would I give my 30-year-old self? Oh, man. This is where it gets dark, kids. Um, I would tell 30-year-old me, you tried showbiz. It's not going to happen for you. Uh, these comedy theaters you're a part of will never see think you're as talented as you think you are. You have a specific kind of humor that's not necessarily audience-friendly, happy stuff. It's very caustic. Go home. Move back east to Virginia, where your friends are. You're 30. You're still young enough to do something with your life. You could still go to law school, because it seems like that's what you're good at. Do what you're good at, not what you dream about, okay? Because you'll be far more satisfied with the results than chasing a dream and being disappointed. You could even try re-enlisting in the military. Maybe they'll take you this time. Um, Because they had loosened standards for 9-11, and this was a couple years after. Um, Overall, I would not have stayed in Los Angeles had I known what I know today, because I'm still in the same job I am. Not really any further in my entertainment career. I enjoy doing this. This isn't a lot of money, although I had one person ask, you know, how much do you make a hundred grand doing those wrestling podcasts? I'm like, dude, I don't even make a hundred bucks doing these wrestling podcasts. Um, LA is very expensive. I could have a house somewhere else probably by now. I'd have had more people with my value system, I think. Um, not that I don't not like my friends. It's just, we're very, very different people. Um, I would have warned myself about the betrayals that were to come in my life and that they were people that I loved very much. Um, I would have said, take those last few classes at I.O. the second time. You're going to meet a lot of great friends. Ride that to the end and then leave. Um, but 30 is not the end of the world. I think this person just turned 30. You have... A long, long time ahead of you, even to get to 40. You may not think that, but you do. So anything that you're worried about, and here's the other thing I'd say. A lot of the things that you worried about at 30 don't matter by the time you get to 40. And if you have income and enough to pay your rent or your mortgage, and you have someone who loves you, you're a winner in life. Stop worrying about everybody else and their progress. Stop looking at them and comparing yourself to them. And realize that 
you know what? If you have a few basic things, you win. You're much better. If you have a woman who loves you and you've been in love and you've been married for five or six years once you hit 30, man, do you know how many friends I am that are on their second or third marriages right now at my age? You know, I, I remember one time I went, when I went home uh, for my 20th class reunion, I met an old college friend and I sat down and his girlfriend sat down and he went to the bathroom and I never realized he had gotten divorced from his wife, who I was also friends with. So that was an awkward conversation for a while until he realized what was going on and she had gone to the restroom or to get food and said, oh yeah, forgot to tell you, I got a divorce. Um, you know, and everybody is struggling and nobody, nobody lasts forever. You know, it's all temporary. So, you know, don't let the downs get you too down. Don't let the highs get you too high. Go for the solid seven, not the tens and twos. I'm Jeff Hawkins. This has been Shake Them Ropes. Talk to you later. In a world of one million wrestling podcasts, there is a new shiny star with great interviews, analysis, music, and, and me, Matt Coon, on total engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.